Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And as we say good afternoon to you, let me make it abundantly clear this program is live. I repeat, live. I repeat, live. I repeat, <laughs> you got to be old enough to remember the record stuck in the groove or that that joke kind of falls flat, huh? Nate's saying, yeah, the millennials just went, what? what? What's he doing? Okay. <laughs> well, good afternoon. Good to have you with us. Five minutes after the hour of five o'clock. That's the time on your clock, 1100 a.m. on your radio. And uh, Craig Roberts before your shell like ears with another edition of Lifeline. Much to talk about tonight including our dear friend Pete Peterson's going to join us from Pepperdine University Public Policy, talk a bit about the, uh, <laughs> the way in which our mayor is firmly closing the door on the barn now that the horse has gotten out. That horse departed years ago. Now San Francisco is going to get tough on crime, even after we've had this long reputation of, you know, let's... Let's go easy on them. It must be a, a case of a person with a difficult childhood, at least Chase of Boudin, the DA would suggest that, who, by the way, is also taking a bit of an interesting turn to getting tough on crime. Amazing how a recall election can help straighten you out. Anyway, Pete Peterson will join us with some analysis. We're also going to be talking tonight with Brian Johnston, the um, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, get a bit of an update on... Um, Reaction to SCOTUS concerning these cases that they have been and will be hearing related to um, Roe v. Wade. And most importantly, how now our governor has decided to, I I don't know what, we're going to get into the sex trafficking business. What are we going to do? We're going to create a sanctuary state for women who want abortions, and it'll all be done at your expense, taxpayer expense. We'll talk more about that. I I don't want to Dive in too early here because it just <laughs> just raise the blood pressure. Traffic will help do that all on the zone. All right, let's uh, let's meet our first guest tonight. I want to begin with a bit of a walk through Scripture, Matthew and sixteen. If you recall the scene, it's where Jesus arrives at Caesarea, and he poses to his disciples the question, "Who do people say the Son of Man is?" There were multiple answers, of course. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah or Jeremiah or maybe one of the great prophets reincarnated. Who knows? And then in verse 15, Jesus says, okay, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? We know ultimately that uh, Peter responds with, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus almost congratulated him. By responding back, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. An important question that Jesus posed to his disciples about who he was, and maybe we can turn that question slightly for the moment on its head, begging the question for each of us, who are you? More importantly, not only who do you think you are, but who does God say you are. The understanding of that or misunderstanding of that can either be a huge 
boost on the road of life or a major roadblock? Let's get some insights now as we're joined by best-selling author, radio talk show host, Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey has written a new book called Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. Newly released by NAF Press. Aubrey, by the way, serves on the teaching and preaching team at Renewal Church in West Chicago and is the co-host of The Common Good, a talk show heard on our sister station back in uh, the Windy City, W-Y-L-L. And Aubrey, great to have you with us. Craig, thanks so much for having me. I love that intro. And by the way, I am a record collector. I have a I have a record player, and I'm not a millennial. I'm Gen X, but I do think the millennials and the Gen Zers are into record players, so they they might get your like skipping sound joke. I like oh, that. That, was I, good. I, that warms my heart to hear that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a record collector too, but I started collecting them when they were the only thing that you, the only way you the could buy music. Could collect, right? <laughs> exactly right. Well, Aubrey, it. thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us tonight. By the way, before I forget, if you run into Jeff Reisman in the hallway, uh, tell him Craig <gasps> Roberts from San Francisco said to say hello. Absolutely, tell him that. That's so fun. Hey, this is an exciting new book, and I think a very timely one. You know, we we have all independently, collectively, through life experiences, and certainly through the collective experience of COVID, been through yeah. such a hard time over mm. the last year, two years now. And some people mm-hmm. really struggle. They struggle with a sense of self worth, self identity. Um, yeah. You know, there's been perhaps many of us forced to sort of reevaluate life in the wake of the realities of COVID and so forth. And I think at the end of the day, boy, this notion um, and that example uh, kind of turned on its head of of Matthew 16. Mm -hmm. Well, who who do you say you are? But more importantly, who does God say you are? Boy, the question of the ages, isn't it? It's the question of the ages. It's the question of humanity and asking, I think, whether or not they realize it for a really long time. And what I'm what I'm seeing, I'm sure you're seeing this too, Craig, and I'm sure your listeners are as well. We're we're in a a moment right now culturally where, man, there is so much seeking to sort of quote unquote name us or like even own us, and and there's this pressure right now culturally amongst Christians even to like make a name for yourself. And I felt like it was time. For in this day and age, especially like you're saying, after the past two years that we have been through, that has been hard and heavy and weary-making, just to go back to some like very foundational things that are in Scripture about, okay, the world might say you are this, or might want you to say you are this, but who does God say you are? Because what God says about you never changes, so let's anchor ourselves in His Word and not in all of this cultural pressure and like the winds of cultural change that we're hearing around us all the time. You know, and that's so incredibly important. I I recall a friend of mine who had been through some pretty big struggles as a young man growing up, had been Mm. um, bounced in and out of the foster care system, and apparently for a while had landed in a scenario where uh, he got himself into quite a bit of trouble. And looking Mm. back on it, he would say, well, if you were where I was, that you were constantly being told you're a failure, you're no good, you're never going to amount to anything. It was this constant barrage of negativity. You kind of learned to grow up to kind of match that level of expectation. And I wonder if we unwittingly 
wind up oftentimes doing it to ourselves, that we kind of buy into some of the the negative talk. We, we yeah. look at what the enemy says, of course, the father yeah. of all lies, and we fail yeah. to recognize that how the enemy sees us, how we see ourselves, is very different from the way God yeah. sees us. Yeah, I feel like we have these, all of us, I mean, whether or not we want to admit it or not, all of us have these sort of tapes we play in our minds, whether it's from childhood trauma, like your friend that you're talking about, or somebody that has spoken something over you, or maybe something you speak over yourself. We all have these names, and they are false names. They are from the enemy that we sort of play on repeat. And we almost don't even realize we're doing it. Like, they kind of become like a, a Wi-Fi password, something that's in the back of your mind, but you don't really think about it. And then what we don't realize is how much that shapes the trajectory of our existence and even our relationship with God. You know, I, my husband and I are church planters in West Chicago, and, you know, you, there are so many people saying, I'm, I'm to this, I'm not that enough, I'm not, and then, and then depending on the personality type, we respond out of those false names in different ways. Some of us strive to achieve, some of us kind of numb ourselves with things, and at the end of the day, I think there's a beautiful invitation from the God who made us, in his image and loves us so deeply to know that the names he speaks over us are not like you said those damaging painful names but they are names like beloved they are names like my son my daughter and again i mean this is like a foundational part of our faith but i think we forget it and if we can um we can begin to know how known we are by God, that just, I mean, changes the trajectory of our lives. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we treat other people. It changes how we walk in the, in the world. And um, I think all of us have that sort of, like, wound in us where we need to be told. We need to re-gospel ourselves, Craig, and remember that we are loved by a good, good God. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that, re-gospel ourselves. I, I, I love that. I, my mind immediately goes to Romans 5 and 8. And that, and that picture of understanding that God has shown his tremendous love towards us that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die on our behalf to take on our penalty, our burden, that through yeah. him we could be forgiven, but most importantly, reconciled. And I love this. Not just not just a joint heir, but heirs of the Father, joint heirs with the Son, which puts us on a par with very Jesus himself. Now, these people think, oh, my goodness, Craig Roberts is starting to talk about Ken, <laughs> Kenneth Copeland theology here. I'm not talking about becoming little right, gods. Right. What I'm talking about is being a heir of very God himself, which yes. says to me that through Christ Jesus, God has a much higher opinion of us than we oftentimes mm -hmm. in our flesh, in our in our shortcomings, have of ourselves. I think about Psalm eight, like who who are you to be to be mindful of mere mortals, and yet you are. You crown us with glory and honor. And I think sometimes, at least in in my church experience, we tend to focus on that mere mortal part a lot. Like I am so broken, I'm so terrible, I'm so sinful, I'm so ugly, I'm so marred, I'm so unworthy, I'm so you know, we sing songs, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy, but still you love me. Now those are two things. And we, we never want to forget how sinful we are because then we realize what great a salvation we have in Jesus. But I think what we have sometimes get stuck in Craig, is that we live in like our, our Adam identity or our Eve identity, our, our pre-Christ-in-us identity. And I think if 
especially after the past two years we have had, isn't it time to begin to walk in the newness that we have in Christ, like the righteousness that we have in Christ? Isn't it time to recognize that through Jesus we are becoming who God has already declared us to be, and that's a new creation who is deeply loved and being made more and more like Jesus. And again, I don't want us to ever forget how sinful we are, but I want us, once we're in Christ, to move beyond that and begin living in our belovedness so that I think we'll experience more transformation, more power, more freedom, and and really a more more life-giving way where we can actually pour out of that to other people as well. So it's not just about us. It's about God, what God wants to do through us to other people. Well, and you know, we all understand how powerful words can be. I I find it interesting that we see early on in Scripture, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then, of course, came and dwelt amongst us. The power of His Word. Words have power, and it's not just Scripture. It's also the way we use the negative words. And and again, I'm not talking about some sort of New Age guruism, Anthony Robbins, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, talk yourself into it kind of theology. Absolutely not. But what I am saying is that sometimes you need to to kind of quit living B.C., in other words, before Christ, and start living in the moment and recognize that God sees us and, yes, knows that we are sinners, but also we are wonderfully made in his very image, and he cares so much about us that he sent his only son that Again, we we might be reconciled because God wants to be in relationship with us. Isn't it amazing that it it, it takes you beyond just the idea of knowing God or knowing of God, maybe that pathway of knowing of God than knowing God, but what a delight to know that God knows you. Wow. Isn't that an incredible thought? You bet. Let's let's kind of let that sort of bubble in our mind for a moment. We're going to take a time out, come back to more of our conversation. Aubrey Sampson with us today. The new book, Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. The new book released by Nav Press. You can get it through the usual suspects, of course, Amazon.com. Also through Aubrey's website at AubreySampson.com. We take this time out to get you an update on traffic. This report is sponsored by Fast Track. In Fremont, a car and an SUV involved in a crash southbound 680 right before Mission Boulevard South. The two right lanes are blocked. Emergency crews are there. Traffic at a stop from Automall Parkway. In Vallejo, a two-car crash eastbound 80 right before Columbus Parkway. That's over on the right-hand shoulder. Hit and run in San Jose, southbound 85 at Santa Teresa Boulevard. It's over on the right shoulder. Traffic slowing from Highway 17. In Menlo Park, watch out, there's plastic fencing in the lanes. Northbound 101 right at Marsh Road. CHP's on the way to run a traffic break. That's traffic. I'm Michael Bennett. On January 1st, tolls on the Dumbarton Bridge will go up $1. Don't wait for the invoice. Pay tolls automatically with Fast Track. It's the most convenient way to pay tolls. Get started at BayAreaFastTrack.org. That's BayAreaFastTrack.org. Christmas is in the air, so come celebrate at Church of the Highlands San Bruno. The Highlands Asian Pacific Outreach Ministry invites you to a multicultural outreach on Saturday the 18th at 6.30 p.m. Admission is free, but seating is limited, so reserve your place today by registering at highlands.us. Then bring your family and come rejoice at a special Christmas Eve service at 3 p.m. or 5 p.m. Complete details at highlands.us. Join the celebration at Church of the Highlands San Bruno, highlands.us. 
So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it time for open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also when you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For the typical family, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate when compared to health insurance. Double. It really is remarkable. There's more than 400,000 members now who have shared more than $4 billion in medical bills, so they can handle your bills too. And here's the thing. If you join before December 15th, they'll waive your new member fee, so that's another $170 you'll save. I'll give you the number here in a second, but call, and you'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline, December 15th, so call now, and you'll save even more. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Well, as most of you know by now, MyPillow doesn't have their box stores or any shopping channels anymore. They've been targeted as part of this canceled culture movement. So they're passing the savings on directly to you. Right now, you can get the lowest prices in history on their standard MyPillow. They were $69.98. Now, with the promo code KFAX, they are $19.98. Oh, my goodness. If you've never had the opportunity to try a MyPillow product and you'd love to do so, do not miss this opportunity and these incredible savings. Queen size my pillows normally 79.98 now 24.98. King size used to be 89.98 now with the promo code they are 29.98. And you know my pillow isn't just about pillows there are well over 150 products from sleepwear to new beds. So check it out maybe do some early christmas shopping mypillow.com use the promo code KFAX or call 800-479-1790 use the promo code KFAX. Few things are handier than the simple plastic bucket. Fill it with tools and go work on your project. Fill it with water and go wash the car or the windows or anything else. It's a carrier, a basin, a stool, an ice bucket, and a perfect gift. Wait, did you say gift? Are we talking about the same thing? Well, when the bucket's covered in durable fabric with your favorite sports team, hobby, cartoon, or video game character on it, and has a comfortable pad on the lid that's perfect to sit on or kneel on, has convenient pockets to hold tools, phones, instructions, well, use your imagination. I was talking about a simple bucket. Me too. A simple I can bucket. Check it out online at iCanBucket.com. Sounds like someone has made the simple bucket better. Better and a lot cooler. In fact, it makes a great cooler. Check it out at iCanBucket.com. iCanBucket.com. Use promo code KFAX25 to get a 25% discount when you order at iCanBucket.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Many know of God. There are those that claim to know God. But the question of the ages, does God know you? And if so, what does he think of you? What are the names that he has for you? And as we're learning from our first guest tonight, Aubrey Sampson, oftentimes the names that we use for ourselves versus the names that God uses for us are very different. Aubrey's the author of a new book called Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. Take me down the road, Aubrey, when, when you began to have this light bulb go on, to, to, to mm-hmm. really begin to have this truth quicken to your, to your heart. Yeah. How did it change your own viewpoint, your own perspective, your own life? 
Yeah, I'll tell you a story, and I'll try to make it as quick as I can. It's a pretty vulnerable story, so I'm just going to open right up to your listeners, Greg, so thanks for letting me do it. But when I when I was a teenager, I was actually sexually assaulted twice, two different times, two different situations. And as a result, I, I began to speak a name over myself. It's kind of the oldest lie in the book when something like this happens. I believed that what happened was my fault because I was needy for attention. And so this name needy began to really implant. I mean, I think the enemy really did that to me, implanted that name in the fabric of my soul. Aubrey, you're so needy. You're so needy. You're so needy. And for many years, I mean, even into, you know, early adulthood, I I would be in conversations and not even be able to be free because I would hear myself speak that name over myself. You're needy. You're needy. You're needy for attention. And I can remember one day just literally on the floor begging God to remove that that name from my soul because I knew it wasn't from Him, but I didn't know really how to live any differently. And so I just remember crying, God, if, if you love me, if you know me, you see this is happening, you have got to change my heart and, and remove this name. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we want God to heal us in poof, but God heals us in process, right? It takes a little bit longer than we always want. And probably a decade after praying that prayer, I will never forget, I was in the hospital with my firstborn son. I was a mom for the very first time. I had a brand new name, Mom. And I will never forget, it was like the Holy Spirit came in that room and reminded me of that prayer from so long ago. And I remember God saying to me, look at your son right now. Isn't he so needy? He is so dependent on you. He's so vulnerable. He's so limited. Like, this kid needs you so desperately, but you're not mad about that, are you? That's not a terrible thing. That's actually a wonderful, beautiful thing. I have created your son to be needy because he's needy for me, ultimately, God. And it was like this light bulb went off, Craig, where I realized, of course, I had named myself falsely because of the sin of other people in my life, but God wanted to do something different and to really reframe that name with His redemption, mm. with, um, with His love, with His compassion, with His goodness. And, and that, I mean, that's an anecdotal moment, but it was a powerful, powerful moment where I thought, oh... The Lord knows me and loves me intimately, and actually, for each of His children, God wants to bring healing like that. And it, you know, it might look different for each and every one of us, but we see throughout Scripture God does this. God removes old names, gives His followers new names, and and God ultimately, whether it's a you know a quote unquote name like mine was needy, or it's just a false way of believing about yourself, I really, really know because I have experienced it because I've read it throughout Scripture and because of ministry, that God wants to heal those places that are hurting and meet those false names with His redemption in such a powerful way that they become the place of renewal, because He's going to do something new in your life. And you know, what a joy to be able to start to reach for His expectations of us based Mm. on His definition of how He sees us both today and the potential of the way He sees us as we Mm. grow versus yeah. sort of bowing to that almost worldly-like anchor that's intended not to lift us up, but to drag us and pull us down. Yes, Craig, that's exactly right. Yep, that is exactly, exactly right. It is freeing, it is life-changing, and there's a, I mean, 
you know, there's like an internal work that God does where you're like, oh, wait, I don't have to live under that. I don't have to bow down to that. Instead, I can I can lift my head high knowing who God says I am, knowing how deeply God loves me, how beautifully He sees me, and walk tall because of that. And of course, sometimes that doesn't happen immediately, but, you know, sometimes it does. But in time, I think God is always inviting every single one of us out of our false selves into our true selves, meaning the self that He has declared we are. Is a lot of this, final question tonight, is, is a lot of yeah. this predicated upon... We spending more time in prayer mm-hmm. and in the Word so that we get to know more about Him as we get to know mm-hmm. Him. We get to know His opinion of us. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, this doesn't just come out of thin air. There has to be yeah. a source. And, of course, God has given us His Word as that source where we yeah. can not only re- understand more about who He is, but how He sees us. Thank you so much for asking that, because I do, I feel like right now we're, we, we have a culture that is exchanging being seen by the public, like on social media, online, whatever, exchanging that for being known by God. And I do think you're exactly right. We have to go back, or for the first time, go to regular rhythms of intimacy with the Father. And that does mean being in the Word, so we can know what His Word actually says. That means knowing Jesus better. That means being in Christian community, being part of a local church, that we can begin to understand and hear the voice of God above the cultural noise of the day and really begin to discern His intimacy with us, His presence with us, His love for us. And ultimately, Craig, that moves us to worship not our own names, not even the names that God calls us, but the name of Jesus, because He's the one we're after, right? And it's His name that we want to lift high, and we do that through our intimacy with Him. And indeed, one of the important takeaways from this is, as and you, you aptly point this out, Aubrey, that so often we want to become known, we want to be influencers, we want the highest number of likes and followers, because it's all about us. And God is saying, yeah, no, it's, it's all about me, and the value of the you is in me and through me. And there's one thing to be known, but to be known by God himself, wow. The book, compelling. Great for holiday giving, too, by the way. Known, how believing who God says you are changes everything. Newly released by NAV Press, you'll find it at Christian bookstores across the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and through Aubrey's website at AubreySampson.com. Aubrey, a delight to visit with you. We appreciate the time and the insights and uh, wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And this next story, I'm not sure whether we should celebrate the awakening of our mayor, London Breed, um, or wonder why with such fanfare they've decided to suddenly securely close the barn door after the horse escaped years ago. That's been the case, certainly. Listen, Bay Areans know it. The crime in the city of San Francisco has been rampant. We look at some of these cases of smash and grabs in everything from Stanford Shopping Center to Walnut Creek. But the genesis of most of it has been happening on the streets of San Francisco for the longest time 
and suddenly, finally, the city that knows how has run out of patience. Let's find out more. Our dear friend Pete Peterson joins us. He, of course, dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy and the Davenport Institute at Pepperdine, where he serves as a senior fellow. Pete, is always good to have you with us. So finally, we got that barn door shut just in the nick of time. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, Craig, yeah, I mean, it, and your term uh, in describing what's happening with Mayor Breed as far as an awakening, I think is, uh, is apt. Uh, we, we use the term woke to describe a certain type of awakening, but what's happened here is uh, an awakening to the reality of what many of the policies that have uh, been brought out by by and large, uh, Democratic big city mayors um, are showing the results, and it's uh, the results are obviously deeply concerning and uh, impacting uh, the mayors and how they how they view their response. And it should not go without noticing that even the uh, the uh, leader in Congress from that area, Speaker Pelosi, has also come out against uh, the rising crime in her. Uh, hometown of San Francisco. And so uh, a number of Democratic leaders are coming to the realization that uh, the rise in crime is something that needs to be confronted. It almost seems as if the mayor finally looked out the window to um, to the dawning of what most San Franciscans have been talking about, complaining about, and leaving over for multiple years now. And isn't it convenient that our DA, Chase Boudin, uh, all of a sudden now he too wants to jump on the let's get tough on crime bandwagon. Of course, amazing how a little bit of a recall election will help straighten out your thinking. <laughs> well, of course, we have that down here in Los Angeles as well with uh, the district attorney, uh, Gascon, who is also under threat of recall for many of the same reasons. So uh, this isn't just an issue up there in the Bay Area. We're, we're certainly seeing it uh, down here in Los Angeles as well. You know, there was a period of time early on in the pandemic where this notion of, well, we don't want to add to the jails and overcrowding, and it just becomes a petri dish for spreading COVID. So we're going to maintain a rest, arrest and release policy, completely failing to recognize that with certain profiles, that arrest and release just means back out to do more of it. And sadly, in many occasions, they go on to not only commit similar crimes, but worse crimes. This is not the first time we have seen this. And, you know, going back many, many years when uh, Terrence Hallinan was our DA, I was highly critical of his viewpoint that we needed to um, decriminalize prostitution because it was just a nuisance to try and and uh, and address all of this. And sadly, it's in an almost the same mentality, but now finally catching up. And I guess, uh, you know, it, 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 at the end of the day, it, it's money that talks as you look at what's happened to tourism in the city of San Francisco right. and big conventions that say, you know, not only are you the most expensive, you used to be the most beautiful, but we really don't want to have to step over the trash and human excrement, and I apologize for saying that. It's a family program, I know, but that's just the stark reality coupled along with, quite frankly, uh, the, the high risk of renting a car and having to take it back to the, to the rental lot uh, when you get to the airport with an explanation as to why you have no back window. No, that's so right, Craig, and, uh, and you've brought up really the intersection of issues here. One is the, the so-called quality of life issues that sometimes don't merit or uh, are things that we track 
whether it's the issues that one faces walking down the streets of uh, San Francisco and certainly issues like homelessness. But there's also the connection to the real data that we are seeing on the increase of homicides and, and theft and assaults all in the double digits uh, year this year over last year in the Bay Area, whether we're talking about San Francisco or Oakland. And uh, we've talked about this before, but really the, one of the founders of the School of Public Policy here was the late great social scientist and criminologist James Q. Wilson, and he came up with this theory called the broken windows theory, which I'm sure your listeners know is that when you see these quality of life issues go unchecked, you tend to then see a follow-on on larger and more serious levels of crime. And he saw that in a number of cities back in the 70s and 80s. And I hate to say it, but it certainly seems like these patterns seem to be repeating themselves where you see these quality of life issues go uh, unresponded to and now we're now seeing these uh, issues of crime. Well, and, and, and perhaps, uh, Pete, even worse so in the sense that it's not just an increase in crimes and um, the, the accompanied uh, you know, impact on quality of life, but the smash and grab flash mobs that are gathering yeah. apparently via social media, that is unknown in history. And I, my, my take on this is this. Tell me if you agree with this or not. And I know that oftentimes there are concerns about the, the relationship between citizenry and police departments. Some do an excellent job. Some need a lot of work. But I've long held the opinion if we reach the point where criminals – can engage in their behavior without hesitation whatsoever right in front of the police. If, 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 if a criminal will point a weapon at a police officer who they know is trained and has a weapon and can fire back, if they'll point the weapon at a police officer and pull the trigger without hesitation, then believe me, they won't look at you or me for even a nanosecond to consider, should I do this? They're going to do it. Well, and there are, again, a couple of issues that you raised there, right? One is the general respect for law enforcement, which has obviously been on the decline for a number of years, exacerbated uh, oftentimes by those on the left who are, are pushing on these issues. But that has also precipitated a decrease in the number of police officers uh, that we see on the beat. And this isn't just a funding issue. These are a lot, an inability of cities to actually recruit police officers. And so you have the situation, as we do now in San Francisco, where the chief of police there, Scott, has come out and said that we need 2,000 more police officers. Um, you know, this this is an issue, again, that's tied to these cultural um, mores and understandings of the importance of law and order. Uh, but that's also reflected in the lives and ability uh, lives of police officers who are on the beat, and the ability of police departments to recruit officers into these very difficult environments to work in. And fascinating as it is frightening that 16, 18 months ago, it was all about cancel the cops. And right. now they're Because saying, where are the cops? Well, right. <laughs> you can't have your cake and eat it, too. you got to decide one way or the other. So much of this, Pete goes back to a very central core issue. If you, if you want an example of what 
really bad, really lame, really disconnected from reality public policy looks like, ladies and gentlemen, may I present the city by the Golden Gate, San Francisco. And I guess at the end of the day, it's what makes your job so much more important. And I would wonder, Pete, as we're looking at, you know, a a new semester here starting in January and um, young people that perhaps are, are considering how do I want to spend my life, and and is there a career path that I can choose where I can be uh, the most effective at leaving a positive mark on the world around me for myself, my family, my children, uh, then maybe considering a role in public policy making might be a very good thing to consider. Spend a moment, if you would, and tell us a bit about the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Well, thanks, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. And again, the issues that we're talking about here are really being determined at the local level. And one of the things I've been so encouraged by over these last couple of years is to see a growing number of students, particularly from here in California, say that they want to stay here. They want to be a part of the solution on so many of the issues uh, that are Uh, arising right here in the state and in our major cities in the state. They don't just want to go to D.C. and change things. They want to be here and be a part of that change. And we here at the School of Public Policy as a program that's, of course, founded on uh, teaching America's founding principles and why they're relevant, whether it's free markets or the importance of law and order, uh, certainly the importance of religious liberty. Uh, These are things that we make relevant to today's policy issues, not only for what's going on again in Washington, D.C., but what's happening in our major cities and, of course, here in the state of California. Critical. And, of course, we're at this juncture where we really need to have people of quality, people of a sense of value that engage in crafting public policy, because absent those values, well, this is the result. More information available about the Pepperdine School of Public Policy on the web at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Beautiful campus just south of us down in in Southern California. We invite you to get more information. Check it out. Call Pete Peterson. Hey, Craig said I should call you for a tour. I bet he'll set you up for one. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, we value our partnership, and I appreciate so much the light that you helped to bring to these very important and uh, and timely topics. So thanks again for your time, and if I don't get a chance to talk to you before then, I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you, Craig. Always great to be with you. There is Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. 546 on KFAX. This report is sponsored by Grapes from California. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We're going to pivot now to an important topic. We've all been looking with um, great interest at how the United States Supreme Court would respond to challenges to Roe versus Wade, Doe v. Bolton, how they're going to come down in terms of the vote, what the long-term impact will potentially be when it comes to protecting the vulnerable in our nation. One area that we've not delved into, but we will right now, and that is how are others responding to this? And let's break it down more specifically, the state of California. 
it is uh, maybe not going to come as a very big surprise to you, the direction that the governor is deciding to take things. So let's get more information as we're joined now by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, host of Life Matters. Heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX, where weekly he deals with these very critical and important topics. And uh, I'll mention, too, Brian's going to be in town for speaking engagement this weekend. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Meanwhile, Brian, I, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised at the direction the governor wishes to take all of this in. But I tell you one thing, we all should be very mad. Did we lose him? He's going to, in moment, please, to make an adjustment. No adjustment of your set is necessary. He's going to check and see exactly what's going on. Did we zig when we should have zagged? He's going to call him back on another line, on a special, very secret, top secret line that no one knows about. In fact, it's so top secret, we don't even know it exists. <laughs> It happens. Yeah, i got to put another nickel in the slot. Okay, let's get him back on. All right, and with that, Brian, tell us what do you think. Mr. Johnson, the floor is yours. Oh, well, thank you so much. I don't know where to start. So many things, Greg, so many things. We know that our governor has repeated. It's actually an offer he made two years ago, but this is the time to get media attention. Any woman anywhere in the nation, if you're pregnant, come to California. Free abortion. And now they're saying they'll pay for the airfare and for lodging. Kind of extraordinary. You know, um, I think people need to look at the bigger implications because there was another wealthy bon vivant, a gentleman who flew pregnant girls interstate, and if there were any problems, offered to resolve the problems of a pregnancy. And the fact is is that uh, we're looking at a situation that people know intuitively that there's more involved here than merely a choice. When there's a human life involved, someone has impregnated that child. Some people want to hide that fact. And abortion is used. It's been used at Planned Parenthood and it's documented. You know, everybody hates the idea of incest. Unfortunately, Planned Parenthood has accommodated the Uncle Charlies of the world that want to cover it up and accommodated even sex traffickers. So we have a situation that this governor is not just overly generous with California tax money, but simplifying in a grotesque manner a very serious issue. That's why the Supreme Court is reviewing this issue. This is not something to be taken lightly, just one more choice. What color do you want your hair to be? This is a very serious decision, and it involves a human life. So our, our governor is uh, rather stunning in his boldness, but there's much that could be said about that. Um, Greg, this weekend I'm going to be on uh, Saturday. There's a luncheon in Concord at the Baptist Tabernacle Church on Concord Boulevard. In Concord, and people are welcome to come. We're going to be talking about these two Supreme Court cases, what the likely or at least the possible results will be, but more importantly, what it means for Californians. 
And we in California have to get rid of the idea we have to accept whatever the governor says. We have to obey that mindset and the template that is being offered to analyze the abortion issue. There's a lot more at stake, and there's going to be a lot for us to do. So that'll be at the uh, Baptist Tabernacle Church in Concord. In Concord. On Concord Boulevard. That'll be this Saturday. And you can get more information about that uh, by going to their uh, website. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, I think, critically important right now that we really understand that as, as we're seeing much success in the fight in one direction, let's never think for a moment that they don't intend in one form or fashion to fight back. And this is exemplary. Uh, of that sense that, you know, let's let's go out and create a sanctuary state. Uh, And isn't it odd that 20 years ago, another governor, Pete Wilson, recognized the need to turn off the magnet here in California. In that case, it was the magnet of welfare. And now Gavin Newsom's busy getting the thing fired up and turn it back on again when it comes to inviting women to come to the state for abortions. And, you know, I, I guess no surprise here that we all ought to be outraged by it the notion of then turning around and proposing that, as it does in this report, using public funds to reimburse them for their travel expenses from other states, public funds to reimburse abortion providers for services on behalf of those who can't afford to pay, and creating a a magnet, a death magnet in California. Is that a fair? Yeah, again, I, I nickname him Gavin Epstein. Epstein flew pregnant girls to get their abortions. He offered them lodging, too. He was so kind. But the fact is, is there's much more at stake than simplifying this argument. And that's what's happened in the media. They've, it's a reductionist approach, so you don't think about the other implication. But abortion is used as a cover-up very, very often for the very thing that we know to be crimes, that the Planned Parenthood has openly accommodated and then lied about it. They've accommodated girls who have been trafficked. And the traffickers want to keep their girls in service. This is unconscionable. And the fact that this man now is advertising, well, if you can't do it, get in your state, we're going to fly those girls in for you. Then we'll send them back. That's generosity. That is madness. It is reductionism. The issue of human life is really what this debate is about. If it wasn't, you and I had got the t- I'd, I'd rather do something else. If there's no other human life involved, uh, I'd rather be doing something else. But if there is a human life at stake, as Justice Kavanaugh said very eloquently, then we have to consider the weight of that human life. Yep, absolutely. And, Brian, uh, certainly education is a big part of that, as we need to be educated to know how to act and respond. He's going to do that this Saturday again. Uh, the 18th, 1 p.m. at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Concord. We invite you to uh, Google it, get more information, and uh, be a part of this um, very important luncheon that will be looking at the significance of not just the two SCOTUS hearings uh, related to these challenges, both in Mississippi and, I'm sorry, Georgia and Texas, but also how all of this can impact Californians that we just alluded to. More information, too, on the web at californiaprolife.org. When you think of of end-of-year giving, want to get that last big influencer in and take advantage of the uh, tax write-off as well, don't forget to keep in mind the fine work done by the California Pro-Life Council. You can give online at californiaprolife.org. That's California Pro-Life. 
www.kfax.org. Life Matters, Saturday mornings, 11 a.m., right here on KFAX with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Brian, as always, we appreciate your time. 601 from KFAX. 